Welcome to the Idealect Podcast. This is Nick Tyson. Today, I want to bring you something a little bit different than the last two episodes, the first two episodes. You all know that this podcast is an experiment. It's a forum for trying new things, and I don't exactly know what it's going to look like down the road. So um, bear with me as we try new things here. So today, I want to bring you a conversation that I had Uh, a while back now, uh, probably almost a year. This conversation is with Carly London. Carly is a copywriter at the American Refugee Committee in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I think this was a great conversation. Uh, Sorry to Carly for taking so long to get this this podcast out. Um, But we talk about a lot of good things in this episode. We talk about her work at the American Refugee Committee about seeing the world from different perspectives. Carly's done a lot of traveling and continues to to do a lot of traveling in her work. Um, We talk a lot about human dignity, as the title of this episode would suggest, Um, about humanity, about our own fallibility, Uh, talk about wisdom, what wisdom really means, and kind of within that context bridge into talking about identity, what identity really means for us as individuals and for us as communities and as a world. So there's a lot more in this conversation than that as well, Um, but that's a good starting place. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Carly London. Uh, So my name is Carly London, and my official title is copywriter at American Refugee Committee. Um, And so kind of on a daily basis at work, I'm really involved in the communications side of things, the creative side of things um, in our marketing department. So kind of how I think of it is as sort of acting like a loudspeaker for refugee voices. I'm really lucky because I get to, I travel around quite a bit um, visiting our different country programs and I get to interact with both our field staff who's like working in the field every single day um, and kind of is like on the front lines of this work Um, and I also get to chat with refugees and spend time with them and so um, I feel like I'm really lucky because I'm in a position where I get to hear these stories all the time and I'm sort of really close to it and exposed to it so Um, one of the main parts of my job is to come back here and tell that story on a platform that um, reaches a lot more people. So um, in that way, I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. How do you approach telling a story? What are some of your first thoughts when you're going to tell a story? Um, I think first and foremost, it has to feel human and it has to feel real. Um, I think that kind of some of the most powerful stories we're able to tell are when the person the audience that's reading or watching or listening can kind of recognize themselves in a in a story in another person um say a little more about that hell i think a lot one thing i've learned in my travels is that we have a lot more similarities than we do differences um and i think Again, that's something that I have been really like privileged to, but not everybody is privy to that um, experience or that um, sort of that knowledge. And so, I think kind of highlighting those similarities and, and not in like a demeaning 
way, but sort of more of a kind of emotional, um, like reaching those emotions and kind of is, you know, on the surface, of course, there's a lot of things that are similar, like, you know, there's teachers all over the world, there's doctors all over the world, but I think also like our emotions as human beings, um, a lot of them are emotion are universal, um, and we can, you know, really see ourselves in so many other people around the world, no matter, you know, no matter where they are. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so um, if you had to, just in your own words, what are a couple words that come to mind when you're describing the mission of, of American Refugee mm. Committee? Hmm. That's an interesting question because um, a lot of times I'm sort of like operating on like the official like what's the message like uh, you know what's the brand Um, but in my own words I would say that we aim to bring to not just you know save lives and do the basic um, things that humans need to survive but also bring joy um, to situations that can seem really hopeless and dark um, and sort of make clear the abundant amount of possibilities that exist for change. Um, one of like kind of our core beliefs, I guess you could say, is that, you know, even in really scarce, difficult, um, kind of unimaginably difficult scenarios, there's always room for change and there's always room for hope and um, actually there's sort of an abundance of that that is sometimes just beneath the surface and um, it's sort of all about like tapping into that abundance is the trick. Um, so I think that's something that we strive for on a daily basis. Yeah, that's, that's, um, I'm going to think of how to ask this. Um, I like that idea of like the, the, the fact that there's abundant, an abundance of possibility for change. Like we always, it's so easy, I know in myself, to look at the world and look at all of, you know, everything that's going on and think that the problems are just like out there and they're yeah. too big for me to start tackling. How do you put out a message in a way that comments on a really big issue, maybe, but does it in a way that inspires people or gives people hope to mm-hmm. make them feel that they can do something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I think we do that in a lot of different ways. I mean, um, one project that I think is particularly exciting right now that we've been doing for the past year is called Changemakers 365. Um, Oh, I saw that on your website, yeah. Yeah. So it's all, basically what it's all about is in the face of the impossible, doing the doable. So, you know, you might look at one of the biggest refugee crises right now is um, the refugee crisis happening in South Sudan. Um, so people fleeing across the border to Uganda. And um, there's close to a million people right now in some camps that are in northern Uganda. Um, and it just is this huge, difficult situation and really tragic in a lot of ways. Um, but sort of in the face of that, what are some seemingly small things that we can do that will have like ripple effects of change or that you know either they have huge ripple effects or they might even even be something as small as like making someone's day brighter that one day Um, and we really believe that there's nothing 
um, wasteful about that and there's nothing insignificant about that that actually making someone's day can mean a lot more than we might think um, because you know for example one of the things that we recently were in bitty bitty refugee camp up in northern Uganda working with South Sudanese refugees and um, one of the projects that we did was getting mattresses to seniors um, so these are you know people 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s who had just fled their homes in South Sudan and who didn't have a place to sleep. Um, you know, we're sleeping on the dirt. And so we got them all mattresses. Um, and it's like one of those projects where it may seem really small. It's like, okay, you got the mattresses, but like there's so many other needs that they have. But if you have the ability to do something, why wouldn't you? Just because you can't solve the huge problem doesn't mean you can't recognize the humanity in someone and give them a little bit more dignity huh. or help them find that dignity. Yeah. Um, I feel like you kind of talked about this already, but I kind of like to circle back a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Um, but how? Um, what's the, the value of those stories? Because I feel like sometimes... Um, sometimes there's a reaction to those kind of extreme situation stories where it's mm -hmm. like, well, that's, that's too much and it doesn't have anything to do with me, you know, I'm never going to find myself in that situation. But yeah. what is it about those stories that kind of illustrate the extremes of the human experience that are valuable? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think on a kind of a personal level, um, I've always sort of been a believer in knowledge and being worldly and knowing about the world and sort of not shying away from things that are difficult. Um, it is tempting, I mean, even for me, for anybody, when there's something really terrible or there's lots of terrible things going on in the world to sort of shut down and like put your blinders on and just think about your day to day. Um, but I also think there's a really... I don't know, if not a practical danger in that, then like an existential danger in that. Um, again, like my own personal belief is I, I always am working to be a world citizen. So I guess there's just, for me, there is intrinsic value in that knowledge um, and sort of being an active participant in the world. And like I said, not, not shying away from the really difficult things. Um, I guess for me it is a little bit easier to say because I'm lucky enough to work for an organization that takes on those challenges. I mean, not, of course, um, in a diplomatic way or anything like that, but that can help on the human side. Um, and so I, I am really lucky to be able to be in a position where I feel like it isn't hopeless and there are things that we can do. Um, and I guess from traveling and seeing the work that we do and also that others do in the field, I guess I know firsthand that the situation isn't hopeless. And so I think that's something that um, kind of propels me to, to want to continue telling those stories and getting the word out. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I am always interested in, kind of like I said before, I mean, just the, the tone of the national dialogue. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, a little bit disheartening to me that so many of these issues, so like the, um, I mean, just immigration as an example, it's become so 
politicized Mm -hmm. and you know there's nothing inherently bad about politics I don't think but just the way that our discussion has become framed Mm -hmm. um, has a negative taste I think a lot of times for me and Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people Um, and so I don't want to steer us too much into um, the political realm but um, how I don't know how do we get past this like over politicization of everything where Mm -hmm. we kind of um, it seems like we kind of go back to our you know our camps our tribe our corner um, regardless of whether or not we agree with a particular issue but we just feel like we're pushed there right how do we get past that well I think I, I don't know if I have an answer to that but I think it's a really important question and I think it's something that absolutely needs to be addressed. I think for me and you know the when I when I talk to people particularly who might not be from the same um, you know political persuasion that I am mm-hmm. what I constantly come back to is again the humanity of it. Um, you know when you think about refugees you think Yes, they're they're politicized, but at the same time, the situations that they're faced with and the realities that they're faced with are absolutely not. Um, you know, politics plays no part when you are running with your family to save your and their lives. You know, um, when you're trying to build a new life, it's you're not thinking about those things. Those are those are universal human aspirations. Um, and things like fear and joy and sadness, you know, those aren't, that's not politics. Um, you know, no one chooses to be a refugee. Um, and so I think how you, how you overcome some of those barriers, or at least in my experience, is that you absolutely have to approach it from an empathetic point of view. I think there's no way around that. Um, so if you approach someone with a deep empathy for why they might feel the way that they feel, um, I think you're going to have, it's still going to be hard, but you're going to have a lot more likelihood to be able to you know, keep your mind open and your eyes open and your ears open um, to anything that that other person might have to say. Um, so I think kind of both from like a personal empathetic perspective it can be really useful but also just remembering particularly from like the refugee point of view that like you know it's all it's a human experience not a political experience Mm. yeah how um how do you think about the role of of empathy on Mm -hmm. sort of the the national level i mean there's there's a um a piece of it that i think a lot of people would say just isn't like practical on a national level I mean yeah. can a can a government or a community run on empathy how mm. do you tie those two together yeah I mean I yeah I think that's a good that's a good point and a good question I think no I don't think it can run on, on empathy but what I think I think the role of empathy is to inform and I think it's to start from an empathetic a place of empathy um that can help make those informed decisions or that can help shape policy or, and you know, I don't, I don't, I definitely, I guess I don't advocate for sort of a like kumbaya type, like, 
you know, debateless sort of system. I think there's absolutely room for like, you know, even heated debate and like you can huge disagreements. But at the end of the day, I think you, the way you get beyond that to something constructive is by like actually actively empathizing and um, trying to understand who the other person, the other group is on a human level. Because I think that that's really the problem. I mean, you you think about people who, um, you know, might be your neighbors and your friend um, and who might be of a different political party. Um, but you don't think of them as being from the, after you've known them for 10, 20 years, you don't think of them as being from a different political party. You think of them as your neighbor, right? Um, but on a national scale, that doesn't happen. It's yeah. very much like an us versus them mentality. Um, so I guess, like, again, like, the more you can just remember that, like, no, that political party is actually made up of people like your neighbor, then that's, like, kind of the key to start, like, that's the chink in the armor, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to kind of zoom in a little bit. Um, for you personally, when you hear the word values, what are the mm. first three things that come to come to your mind? Yeah, um, I think... The, one of the things I think of is respect. Um, I think of open-mindedness. Um, I also think of heart. Um, for me, at least I try. Um, definitely do not always succeed. But I think there are intrinsic, there are some intrinsic values that you feel from your heart, right? There are things that you just, you believe deeply, and um, if you see one of those values sort of not being enacted, you have a certain reaction, or you're always, you know, kind of shifting your life toward living a certain way because that's how you feel in your heart. I think at the same time, it's really important to always kind of treat other people who have might have different values than you than you with respect, um, because that's how I would hope to be treated, I guess. Um, and also the same goes for being open-minded. Like I, I try not to, I try really hard. <laughs> it's not, again, not always successful, but I try really hard not to be so set in my values so as to be, um, you know, blindfolded or like, so as to kind of have blinders on. Um, Cause I think that's again, like kind of where we run into trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm always interested in um, sort of that. There's like a you know you look at some people that believe something incredibly firmly. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah. And he, I guess you could say that he believed in something so profoundly that he died for it, right? Mm -hmm. So, but he was still. I mean, when I think of him or people like him, I still think like open-minded. You know, or yeah. like open to the world at least. Yeah. So, how do you make that distinction? Mm. Believing something so firmly that you die for it, but still being open to the world around you. How do you fit those two together? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the way you link them is actually with love and respect, because um, I think Martin Luther King Jr. is actually a great example of that. Um, is that yes, you believe something, but that. His particular approach was one of like, you know, nonviolent protest, right? Um, 
so you believe in something, but you're not going, you might, you might, you know, risk your own life for it, but you're not going to um, hurt someone emotionally or physically to achieve that goal. Um, and I think a lot of that does come from sort of a love of, a love and, a love and respect of humanity um, and of other people and um, this idea that we're all basically good. Um, I mean, of course, I don't, I didn't know him personally, but I would guess that, um, you know, that he had that belief. Um, and so would others who sort of, you know, are along those same lines, people who are like, you know, nonviolent protesters, peaceful, loving people, but um, who also adhere to very deeply held beliefs. Um, how I guess this is a little bit of a um, topic change, but um, how do you? These are linking in my mind, but it might not sound like it. How do you think of wisdom? How do you define wisdom? Mm. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wisdom is a tough one because I think it's something that. You know, I would, I definitely, I would definitely not call myself a wise person, but it's something that I think we're all sort of like actively trying to achieve, like, um, or trying to access. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess I would define wisdom as a type of knowledge or way of knowing the world um, that sort of transcends context um, and that transcends um, you know I don't want to say transcends time because that sounds maybe a little too dramatic but um, yeah that transcends context Um, and that's something that I don't know if yeah, I think it's something that is a lifetime. Um, it's it's a work of a lifetime to try to achieve achieve wisdom. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it can? Is it something that can be achieved? Um, I think it can. I, I mean, I have I guess personally never met someone who's wise on all levels. I think we all have our certain reserves of wisdom that you can tap um you know i think that sometimes that's kind of the trick is figuring out okay where where does your reserve lie and like how can i share that with the world um but yeah i think that we i think we it absolutely is attainable but i think we all have kind of our superpowers in that respect Hmm. yeah i i love that um transcending context um, is wisdom something that I guess extends beyond the bounds of culture I think it can yeah absolutely I mean I think that there's cultural wisdom um, but I absolutely think it can transcend culture yeah I think that there are there's some sort of universal human um you know again i'm kind of trying to avoid truth with the capital t but i think yeah there's some universal human wisdom 
that exists and I think some people are access it a little bit more easily than others hmm. Hmm. where do you maybe this is too um, pointed or broad of a question but where do you where do your values come from hmm. oh that is a good question um, I think my values I mean I think they certainly come from my family um, I think I was raised in a very empathetic household. Um, so with people who sort of actively seek to understand and feel for other people, feel for and with other people. Um, and I think also consistently trying to see the good in people um, and kind of like gut checking when you're not. Um, I think those two things are really valuable and really powerful and something that I've taken, I've kind of grown with um, as core values in my own life, or at least like always trying to work toward those values. Um, yeah, I think that's huge. I think I think a lot of it has to do with community. Um and I mean community both in kind of the traditional like neighborhood, you know, your roots sense, but also the community that you build um, throughout your life. Um, so, you know, friends who, you know, might not be actual blood relatives, but who have kind of grown to be that like family community um, in your life, the people that you choose to surround yourself with. Um, I think that those almost equally contribute to the growth of values and the kind of um, cementing of those values um, is equally as, you know, your family that you grew up with. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is, this actually might have been one of the questions I sent to you, but mm. um, what are a couple key ingredients for, mm. um, I guess, maintaining the community, for yeah. bringing people together and keeping them together? and moving forward together? Yeah, it's, you know, it is a struggle because I think, you know, I've personally moved from place to place um, in kind of my adult life. And I, I've, I try, at least, I've tried to maintain that sort of community even despite some geographical uh, distance. And I think one thing is just sort of a there's sort of the idea that like you found your people um so i think in a lot of ways it's kind of a shared it's a shared identity um but i think it doesn't it doesn't have to be a you know a a boring identity i think it can also be a or you know a, a homogeneous identity i think it can be a diverse identity but there still has to be something that kind of links like a foundation there that links huh. um like for example um so some of my best my three best friends who I grew up with like our childhood friends um we now live in all all four of us live in different states um but we've been like best friends for like 20 years and I often kind of sit back and think like why are we friends <laughs> because we are so different we're just such different people in a lot of ways like on the surface at least um but i think when you kind of dig a little bit 
further, you realize like we there's actually kind of a shared foundation, or I guess it's a it's also kind of a safe space where you can be, feel free to be yourself. Um, and I guess maybe maybe community sort of where you feel the most yourself. Maybe that's what links you together. Huh? Interesting. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How um, it seems it seems to me that um, like when I look at maybe breakdowns uh, in communities where something has like something's not aligning or people are misunderstanding each other, um, it seems like yeah sometimes it's a difference actually in core values, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it's just. Um, like a misunderstanding or it's something has been taken the wrong way or you yeah. know, something in the communication lines has been interrupted somehow. Um, and that's like at the same time a beautiful thing about community kind mm-hmm. of that there is that it's not beautiful that there's misunderstandings but there's yeah. beauty in the flaws of it. I don't know. In, yeah. in allowing people to make mistakes and having grace to I don't know, just accept that in yeah. people. Um, is that something that you think can be taught to people? Um, if that makes sense, I don't know if that's a complete mm. question really. but Yeah, I think it can be taught um, by example. Um, I think one of the ways that you do that is sort of not shying away from confrontation um, and not shying away from things that might make you uncomfortable. I think we sort of have the tendency to group like with people who are exactly like you or like to kind of get it. We've, you know, talked a lot in the past, you know, national dialogue. There's been a lot of talk about how we're kind of in our own bubbles and like how to break out of those. And I think it's because it is so easy and so much more comfortable to stay in those bubbles and to never really have conflict. Um, but I think you're right. I think there's something in the in like the struggle that makes the community stronger, um, or in like the conflict, or in the misunderstandings, and the ability to like get over that and find common ground. You're going to be a much stronger, much more interesting. Uh, you know, you have a lot more to offer that way than if you just kind of never do that. Because then you can, then you grow insular, right? And you never expand into new ideas and new ways of thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you can. I think you can teach that. I think, but it's a lot of it's by example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I think, I mean, um, I don't know in depth about um, everything that you guys do here, but it mm-hmm. seems to me that like that's um, one of the things at the core of your mission too. In the storytelling is, mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd put it like you're you're trying to teach that, but you're yeah. putting those stories out there that have that that illustrate you know the values that bring people together and the mm-hmm. um, you know what it means to be human, and you're providing yeah. real life examples of that. Yeah, um, I it's think it's a so. beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Oh yeah, what was I gonna? So you you worked here for a couple years, right? 
Yeah, well, so I've worked for American Refugee Committee for about four years, but in this particular position, about two and a half. Okay. Or a little, yeah, almost three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, I started off as a, an intern um, over in, like, the global support or, like, our international programs management side of things. Okay. Um, and then spent about a year doing that. Well, I actually moved into a paid position a few months into the internship. Um, And then, so after about a a year on the program management side of things, I actually moved to Congo um, to support our Asili project there. So I lived there for almost a year, about 10 months. Um, And then this opportunity came up. So I took that <laughs> and I've been in this role ever since okay yeah and so you're like are you actually doing some of the writing for the stories and sort of the creative content development that sounds really <laughs> boring but <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's exactly right so I do um my job is focused on writing so I do a ton of writing um so both like for the website for that change makers 365 blog um for our direct mail fundraising pieces um you know, press releases, pretty much not everything. I mean, most of my team are great writers, so um, there's, they also do a lot of writing. So I won't say I do all the writing for the organization, but I do quite a lot of it. Um, and then I also, um, you know, it's I do a lot of other things too that kind of fall under the umbrella of just like things that come up that need to be done. Um, so... Um, you know, one thing I did recently was I got to travel to Uganda um, and kind of help co-produce a film that was being made there. Um, so kind of, yeah, a lot of sort of creative pursuits. Um, I work quite a bit on our Changemakers 365 platform. So um, going out and sort of getting, helping teams um, do those ideas um, and then, you know, t- taking photographs and writing about them and things mm. like that. What was the film about? Um, or what is the film about, I guess? Yeah, so it's just, it's real short, like eight minutes. Um, but it is about essentially the idea that refugees feel um, an immense amount of gratitude toward the host country that has opened the doors to them. Um, and it's really no small thing, um, particularly Uganda. Uganda actually has a fairly unique refugee policy where it's it's pretty open door. Um, they, of course, go through all the vetting um, with UNHCR, um, the UN Refugee Agency. Um, but they, they really take people in in a pretty phenomenal way. Um, and refugees there know that and they really appreciate that um so you know you hear stories about people saying you know at night um you know before um i came to uganda i wouldn't be able to sleep because i would be worried that people would come to my door and you know kidnap or murder me things like that um and people saying now in uganda i can sleep at night and it sounds very simple but in in reality it's it's so powerful and so important that they have the ability to do that um so the film was basically about people sort of sharing their gratitude to uganda um for you know both the ability to survive but also to kind of rebuild and um try and find meaning again 
Um, a lot of the people that we talked to showed that gratitude through community service work in the, a refugee camp in Uganda. Um, so people who have kind of not only um, survived but have, are now actively giving back to their communities, which is really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of a conversation that I had with somebody a couple of weeks ago where he's talking about... Actually, he's um, um, on the website right now. Okay. Um, and he was talking about how he... One of his really big things is giving people an opportunity to like feel a sense of accomplishment or mm. a sense of achievement. Hmm. And so what you're talking about is making me think of that because it's it's cool that it's like these people like they're not just refugees as we think about them like helpless Mm -hmm. hopeless people but they have they still have agency and they're still doing things and and saying things that um you know can impact other people yeah yeah absolutely right and they're some of the most powerful agents of change because you know, they're in it every day and their hearts are there and um, they kind of feel with all their being that they want to give back. Um, so in a lot of ways, they're really like the best and most powerful agents of change you could possibly have in those communities. Um, and yeah, and it's really cool to see the impact that they've been able to make with just relatively few resources. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more just kind of putting your finger on um, just the difference in approach of um, because I don't get the sense that you guys are saying like we we need to help these people and like you know it's all us helping them Mm -hmm. Um, but I get the sense that you're much more about yeah highlighting their agency and highlighting um, the creativity and Mm -hmm. the beauty that they can put out into the world how do you, how are those, distinguish those approaches a little bit and talk mm-hmm. about how you choose this option of the second option? Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, well, I think it all comes down to that concept I was talking about earlier of abundance um, and this idea that there is an enormous amount of talent and ingenuity and um, agency that exists in a place like a refugee camp. Um, And it's more sort of our job to tap into that abundance um, and to provide, you know, um, a platform for that abundance and sort of be a loudspeaker, an advocate for that abundance, um, as opposed to us going in and kind of ignoring all of that and looking at it from a very narrow viewpoint of, no, these people are, you know, hungry, they need shelter, they need water, and they do need those things, absolutely, but there's a lot more to the story than that. Um, and so we, we do come at, come at it from both lenses. So, um, you know, kind of going back to the place I was talking about in Uganda, Nakavali Refugee Settlement, um, we do, we provide water for the entire settlement. So it's about 100,000 people. And so one of the things we do is we do, we run the water system for the entire settlement. Just um, a small job. Yeah, just a small job, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, refugee camps are really interesting places because depending on how long they've sort of been around, they really are like, I mean, it's like a town. Um, And that town, if you think about everything that is required for a successful 
community, um, you know, in terms of infrastructure, all those things need to be there. So like health system, water system, um, you know, police system, security, all of that, like all of that needs to be there. Um, like community services. Um, so one of the things that we do, so I, as I mentioned, water, and we also do community services. So we do a lot of like um, counseling and things like that um, for people who have experienced abuse and trauma. Um, so I don't want to like downplay that work either. We do we do that work, um, but we also kind of complement it with sort of this other this other work that's sort of lifting up people who are already doing really amazing things. Sure. Um, and trying to help them do those things even better. Huh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask, too, about, um, so like, intent versus outcome. Mm. Um, what happens, I mean, you can talk about maybe um, if you want to talk about the organization as a whole, but then also just for you as, as an individual, mm-hmm. what happens... Um, when those two don't match with each other, what, how do you how do you stay motivated to keep going? Yeah, I think one it's a challenge that I like per, on a personal level. I think that I face all the time. Um, I think that there are so many things that I sort of set out to do with like a specific mindset of how it's going to get done or what it's going to look like at the end and I think it can be really discouraging when it doesn't turn out the way you want it to but I think one way I've overcome that is sort of continuing to see the possibilities there and sort of be open to the things that don't quite work out the way you want you had originally envisioned them to Um, and I think you know it's cliche but you do you tend to learn more than failure than you do success. Doesn't mean it doesn't suck when it happens, but I think it's if your mind is open to it and you can kind of rise above and see the possibilities that exist in that failure or like what you what you learn from it and kind of use those as your fuel, I think then you're going to be in an okay position um and one one particular instance of that that I've been sort of reflecting on recently and like delving into was um when I spent I spent as I mentioned about a year in Congo and I definitely certainly wouldn't categorize it as a failure but I would categorize it as something that was much more challenging than I think I had originally kind of envisioned it being um and it was probably simultaneously like one of the best decisions I've ever made to go there but also one of the kind of most challenging and something that I think I've I've learned and grown so much from um and not always out of like because that was the most amazing successful experience ever you know Mm. I think I I've learned a ton from it um and that has really helped to shape like the future trajectory of where I want my work to go and sort of how I interact with the world. Um, so yeah, so I guess that's a, an example from my own life. Yeah, if you had to put your finger on it, um, I don't want to take too much more oh, of your sure. time, but um, we can kind of start wrapping this up. But sure. um, 
what made it more, well, oh, I had one other question before that. Um, oh, how did it, you said it changed your trajectory. If you had to put your finger on it, um, how would you describe how it changed, mm-hmm. changed that? Well, I think, I mean, I, I, on, on the surface, there's a very clear way that it changed my trajectory in the sense that that job led straight to this job. <laughs> so there's no, I would not have been working in this particular role because um, that job sort of, I was working with the team that I'm currently working on. And so that sort of led into this role. And so that's number one. But I think also at the same time, it kind of highlighted the things that I'm good at and the things that I'm not good at. Um, and I'm, I think we're all always working on that, like figuring out what our superpowers are. And that work is certainly not done for me. But I think it sort of started to uncover that a little bit um, and, you know, made me realize, okay, like maybe I'm not so good at this certain type of work, but maybe I could be really good at this type of work. Um, And what was that? What realizations did you have about what kind of work you you felt like you were good at? Yeah, well, I think for me, the storytelling piece. So the, the time that I found the most meaning and had the most fun and felt like I was like okay at um, was when I got to talk to other people and tell their story. Um, And that was sort of a light bulb moment of like, okay, I actually think I could be okay at this and I really enjoy it. So like what are some other ways I can explore that? Um, So yeah, and I don't know, maybe I would have arrived there. I probably would have. Uh, maybe who knows through another venue, but maybe I wouldn't have. I don't know. So yeah. And yeah. what made um, you said it was more challenging than you were expecting it to be? Mm-hmm. What made it more challenging? Um, I think you know. I think when you're younger and like especially like just out of school and things like that, you kind of it seems like sometimes things just like happen. Like like things will just work out, right? Like. I don't know, maybe that's a very millennial way to look at things. But it's sort of like, yeah, like, yeah, you know, of course I'll get a job. Or of course, like, what you know, you don't really, you. It's sometimes I think people take for granted that, like, the world doesn't really work, <laughs> it doesn't always work like that. And I think for me, what I sort of was expecting to happen um, was kind of for a, a field-based role, actually, to sort of create itself because mine was um it was a temporary so it was only I forget the length of the contract but it wasn't like a full it wasn't a permanent position and so I and that's really what I was working toward um and that just didn't end up panning out and so I think you know it was one of the first sort of wake-up calls of like okay like no sometimes things just don't always pan out and like I'm very glad I sort of jumped into that decision to go um but you kind of have to sometimes take a step back and readjust yeah yeah how when you so when you go somewhere new um what do you do with your expectations um I mean do you do you how tightly I guess do you hold on to them yeah you know, I try not to hold on to them tightly very, very much at all. <laughs> I try as much as you can. It's certainly not always possible or really maybe ever possible. But, um, you know, of course you always have a set of expectation. But I think 
the more you can let go of those and the more you can be open-minded and just sort of like take things as they come I think the better off you're going to be um you know if you kind of hold too tightly and to to how something is going to go or how something's going to look or how people are going to be um you're kind of setting yourself up for to be disappointed um and to not be able to be flexible and roll with the punches which is something that I think to be a good traveler you really have to be able to do that um both like for your sake and for other people's sake um but yeah, so I try to really keep, I don't want to say low expectations, maybe open expectations would be a better way to put it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, all right, I've got kind of two more for you. Okay. Um, and they're a little bit intense. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, good. Ready. <laughs> um, so what does what does the world need more of? Mm. Gosh. Um I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think that the world could always use more empathy. Um, and I think empathy as distinguished from you know something as kind of straightforward as love or peace or anything like that, because I think that empathy in a lot of ways is actually a lot more complex and a lot more challenging than that. Um, I think what empathy forces you to do is to kind of fundamentally shift your perspective and like get out of your comfort zone, um, which I think is really, really hard, but again, can have sort of huge repercussions for not only how you interact with the world, but um, kind of how you even interact with yourself. Like, you know, because when I think about empathy, I think about it internally too. I think that's a place where even people who are highly empathetic aren't very empathetic with themselves. Um, And maybe that kind of seems like, I don't know, oxymoronic or something, but I think actually like we tend to be hardest on ourselves. And I think if we actually have like some more even like self-forgiveness, there'd be a lot less hate in the world. Yeah, that's thought-provoking. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I was going to ask a question before, but I can't remember. <laughs> There's something about empathy um, and... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's all right. Maybe it'll um, come to you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it'll come to me right when I turn pack up all the recording uh-huh. stuff. It's usually how it <laughs> works, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> All right, then. So, last one. Okay. Other than another person, what would you die for? Mm. Oh. I think that is such a tough question because when I think of the things that I would die for, it always comes down to people. Um, But... You know, I think that on a, I guess, like a higher level, um, I, I don't know. I think that I would, I would die for the like continuation of 
sort of, I don't want to say democracy because that's not what I mean. (laughs) Oh, maybe it is what I mean, but not in a political sense. Yeah. I guess um, for a sense of democratic ideals um, and a sense of like a democratic, again, not in the political sense, but a democratic kind of free society. Um, is something that I believe very, very strongly in um, and that kind of frightens me most when I think about like how the world could change. Um, You know, and I guess, again, not without saying like sacrificing for people, but like sacrificing for like loss of liberty and loss of individualism and loss of um, free choice and you know um, freedom to live how you want to live um, those are all things that I believe really strongly in and I think are wrapped up in sort of um, the ideal at least uh, democratic society yeah yeah I love that because I I spend a lot of time thinking about that too and it's it's um so many of these things like they've they've been co-opted by like politics in the negative sense I feel like yeah you know, things like something like freedom yeah you know it's become yeah. at least in my mind unfortunately synonymous with a lot of stuff that freedom really isn't right yeah <laughs> um, so I think I, I think I yeah I think I get what, what you mean about the democratic values yeah yeah think so yeah it's funny because I think this it's moments like that where you like you realize like you are actually a lot more kind of patriotic than you even realize that you are yeah. you know because I mean not I don't not to go too into it but I do think that like yeah. you is as flawed as where we live is and it is deeply flawed um, and it can be so so much better I also think like we're pretty darn lucky um, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, and the values that are I think at the core yeah. of America yeah. are really yeah beautiful things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is awesome. Cool. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, I hope it was okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so good. Oh, yeah. good, good, yeah. good, good. No, I just I I love I love doing these. Yeah. yeah. I love these. <laughs> Well, that's it for today's episode. If you would like to follow the project, you can go over to the project website, which is theidealect.com. There you can sign up for the newsletter, which is bi-weekly. So every two weeks, you'll get a message in your inbox with updates on what we're doing at the project. Um, Otherwise, follow the podcast. There's this podcast, the Idealect podcast, which is about every two weeks. Hopefully I can keep that fairly regular. And there's also a second podcast, which is called Around the Corner. And that podcast is looking at current events in a historical context, trying to do some character development, looking into the motives, the minds, the worldviews of the people and cultures who are driving the news cycle. So a little bit more in-depth understanding of what's going on in the world. So there's always things happening. The project continues to evolve. Um, 
but I'm going to leave it there today. Thanks for listening.